It's derby time. Come on, tell your friends. We'll go to many distant lands. With Dan the coach and Jackie the skater, the fun will never end. It's derby time. Welcome to the Power Through the Fourth Whistle Roller Derby Podcast. This is Jackie Bauer. Thank you for joining me today on the path to becoming better athletes, teammates, leaders, and human beings. Hi there team, here we are with another episode of Power Through the Fourth Whistle, and I'm very excited for this one. A lot of people had to come together to make it happen, and I think it's going to be extremely beneficial to you, to your team, to your league. All of you out there who are aware that there's a new curriculum, but maybe haven't completely, you know, taken the plunge into reading all the documents. This is going to be a good intro to that. I'm really excited because I got to talk with members of the task force. These people have put in so much work to improve the sport of roller derby long term. And for that, uh, I thank you. Thank you so much to everyone in this group, everyone who's been working on this. I think this is going to be so good for the sport of roller derby over the years going forward. In this episode, we got to go into the history of the MSR's task force, which goes back years. It didn't just happen last year. We also got to learn what was the deal with the matrix and how they did research into how other sports looked at the skill level of their players. And I got to ask about the goals of the group, the challenges of working on this project to revamp our minimum skills requirements, and also into some frequently asked questions from listeners and other random people on the internet. You know who you are. I ask the big ones, the obvious ones, and we got some really good answers from this group. So I'm going to say first off, thank you to Stevie Kicks, longtime listener who put me in touch with these fine folks. And thank you to our two guests who are Maha El Nasser, who is the minimum skills requirement curriculum developer. When they said they went out and hired someone to be in charge to make sure this is done right, this is the person right here. Also, the other guest is Emily Cookson, a.k.a. River Strong from the WFTDA MSR Task Force and Skating Education Committee. And this also wouldn't have been possible without the help of Catherine Beaterbones, who is the WFTDA Education Senior Programs Manager, who you will not hear on this episode, but I hope to get in a future episode. All three use she, her pronouns, and were so patient with me as we emailed back and forth trying to schedule. We tried to get all three. We got two out of the three, which isn't bad, but maybe another time we can get all three at once because I feel like this is a topic that has a lot of potential to revisit in the future going over specific sections of the curriculum. And I don't want to build up the suspense any longer. I just want to get to the conversation with Maha and River. So without further ado, here we go. 
I am very excited today to welcome members of the task force that worked on the curriculum. Could each of you please introduce yourselves and tell me a little bit about you and, you know, where you're from and how long you've been in Derby? Uh, yeah, my name is Maha El Nasser and I am from Bradford in the UK. Uh, well, that's where I live anyway. Uh, skate with Rainy City Roller Derby. I've been skating since uh, 2010. I think that was all your questions. <laughs> and um, I'm Emily Cookson. My derby name is River Strong. I am in Charlottesville, Virginia. I skate with the Charlottesville Derby Dames. Um, although I've been a part of two other leagues in the mid-Atlantic region here. And I started in 2011 as a volunteer in roller derby and then uh, started skating in 2013. Nice. And what drove each of you to get involved with the task force to organize this new curriculum? How did you get into it? Well, the task force actually started quite a few years ago, um, just reviewing some of the some of the minimum skills and, and a bit of a chat about what could we do to make this more relevant to the derby game. I got involved because um, through my work with Rule 56, I'm really keen on um, the skater experience, the new skater experience, how we keep folks in our sport by providing decent coaching, by providing really consistent pathways and development. Um, so everything that I'm interested in is really related to the, well, what were the minimum skills and how we brought people into our sport. And that was how I initially got involved. Yeah, I think for me, training has definitely been a focus uh, for the last, definitely the last half of this career that I've had so far. But um, I started, so I started with Charm City Roller Girls in Baltimore. And at the time that I started was when we still had those regional play uh, happening for playoffs and so they were pretty high ranked in that eastern region and I was seeing very high level derby play um, so initially the training was really intimidating to me it was something I was interested in because as a new skater that's who you're experiencing is your coaches and your trainers and I looked up to those people and I wanted to be like those people coming into derby and then um, a few years later I had to move for grad school and the league that I moved to when I moved uh, was actually playing under largely under the modern athletic derby endeavor rule set, which is not something that I was familiar with at the time. I'm not familiar uh, with it either. <laughs> it's it's similar to USARS. It's a little bit more like uh, bank track play, where its focus is on speed. Uh, I would say more so than um, the blocking. And and as a, a blocker myself, it was not my favorite shift. Um, <laughs> But a key part with that move was that they had just started a WFTDA team. They were trying to start up about six months before I joined. So even though I was only a few years into my derby playing, I was coming into a space where I was one of the most experienced people. And that plus the uh, rigors of my graduate studies meant that I wasn't necessarily making attendance uh, all the time to be able to skate in a game. So I shifted more to this training uh, volunteer coach type role, and that really got me involved in training initially. And since then, that has been definitely the thing I'm most passionate about in this space. Um, after grad school, when I moved to Charlottesville, I, you know, jumped into training here with them, working with new skaters and some of our intermediate skaters. Um, and they also had a juniors team here. And that's the first time that I started to work and train with juniors. So that's really become 
my focus. Um, I'm starting my third term as their training committee chair. And so, you know, the MSR is seeing that the WFGA wanted to dig into those and look at changing them and revamping them. That was absolutely something that was up in my alley. And so um, I happened to be on the forum. I was a skater up on the forums. And so I jumped at the chance to be involved and it's just spun off since there. Awesome. I'm, I'm really excited that you're both so passionate about this part of roller derby that you would give so much of, of your time and energy and labor into doing this for all the rest of us. So if you don't hear it enough, I'm just going to tell you both thank you right now. And thank you to everyone listening who helped with that. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so this group did not just form overnight during 2020. This group has been around for a while. And what were some of the main goals of forming the group in the first place and why? Yeah, so I think the task force actually started early 2018, if I'm recalling. Um, and really, if I'm remembering correctly, the intention was just, we know that the MSRs aren't quite fitting. We want to look at them and, and try to revamp them. And there was a long process, a lot of discussion, a lot of um, input from many people involved that year. And um, by the end of that year, we developed something that I, I know we refer to internally as the matrix, um, which was this, frankly, very complicated chart uh, that required, you know, a, a lateral progression as well as a vertical progression, because we were trying to stick with that framework that we knew of sort of skills what that we could apply both in the multitude of competitive settings that we see in roller derby. So from someone who is just starting scrimmaging all the way up to our charter teams. And then also the broad range, obviously in rankings from a league and a team that's just starting out to our top level play. This is something that we needed to be able to, or try to apply to everyone. Um, and so we did release that, I believe within the, forums, the WFTDA forums. So we had skater representatives from leagues looking at it. And I think the biggest complaints that we got was just that it was difficult to understand and it, and it still really wasn't fully meeting the needs that we had identified. Um, so I'm looking at this handy little timeline that Bones gave us here for a cheat sheet, but it looks like in 2019, they hired some new people. I know um, some life changes caused some of the leaders to have to shift. They hired some new chairs, brought in some new, some new people. And we went with both within the task force and in the forums, we went to a discussion of the 27 and five because that was one of the most contentious points. Um, so there were some polls and trying to figure out alternatives to just that piece uh, as we kind of hoped for a quick fix. And ultimately, you know, I think in 2020 when I don't know really the background in terms of creating the position that you took on Maha. Um, but there was just kind of, I think a, a realization for everyone that this system that we know it may have worked in the past, which is something that I think is debatable personally, uh, but it's not working now. Either way, it's not working now. So we really have to approach this from a different perspective. And um, so they, they spent the beginning of 2020 doing interviews, hiring for the position that you ultimately took, Maha. And uh, from there, you gave us a, a 
in my opinion, a great plan to, to achieve this in about six months to really break everything down, do our background research and start to, these conversations to put it together to be able to release it last December. Yeah, I believe the reason um, they looked to hiring a curriculum developer in the first place was just needing that momentum, somebody who was able to put their their entire energy and focus into this piece. Because I think we'd had, you know, as, as River said, we started in 2018 and lots of discussions and lots of kind of false starts on the task force, but we'd never quite got to a point. There was no, there was never any... Um, conclusion to any of those discussions it kind of just would trail out and then we'd almost have to pick it up again so I think that was kind of the real impetus behind getting someone that was in charge and had their focus on it to just be able to drive it through um, and when they first brought me on board there actually wasn't the plan to um, remove the MSRs entirely but it was already being discussed it was something that um, Bones who's the education programs senior education programs manager started discussing with um, competitive play committees, with the risk management committee, um, just to understand what was the connection between the MSRs and sanctioning, what, what were our kind of red lines, what could we change, what couldn't we change um, in order, you know, without breaking the rest of the system. And what she found out was that actually there was nothing in the system that said we had to have MSRs. There was nothing that was mandating that. There was nothing, no problems with the insurance. Um, and the competitive play committee had said, you know, we just, um, they're in there because I think there wasn't really any other place for them. So it really opened up the possibilities when we started discussing what we wanted it to look like. We were no longer held to, we have to work within this framework. We had a lot more scope to explore and to play with different ideas which was really exciting as well as quite overwhelming, I thought. Um, and that was- It must've been amazing to find out you could just, we can make this anything we want, really. We're actually not being held down by anything. And that's just so full of possibility, but like you said, daunting, yeah, right? So, we, so as River said, and River can probably talk a little bit more about this, we started with just doing a lot more research because we wanted to have something evidence, you know, some some information, some more experience to kind of back up whichever trajectory we were going to take. Um, and that's why we started in that space, because we wanted to base it in some in a solid foundation. Um, River, do you want to talk about the research? Is that interesting? Should we talk about the research? <laughs> sure. Oh, I am interested in the research. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so one of the, the first, sort of the first part that I know that I was primarily working on um, at the beginning of this new curriculum shift was to look at other sports, to contact other coaches, other governing bodies, to see uh, what, if any, benchmark or baseline skills they required for their participation. And so we wound up... Um, reaching out, making inquiries. Uh, we made about 30 inquiries with uh, about half of them were national governing bodies and we had 14 responses total from a variety of sports. Um, I think there were, we wound up reviewing 11 sports and between those folks who we contacted and our people who were involved in that project, we had eight different countries represented. Um, and basically the end result was that no one requires any sort of baseline testing. Um, there were a few people who talked about doing a skills assessment in order to appropriately assign people to different levels of play, but no one was restricting people's participation or, or gameplay because of their skill level. 
Um, and so, you know, in reviewing that, that was kind of a, I think for, for me, probably for other people as well, it was sort of freeing to say, okay, we're not way off track by saying, you know, let's try doing this a different way. Let's try this, doing something new here. Um, and so that was one really enlightening to, to listen to, um, and, and to read what these other coaches and, and governing bodies had written um, and to see how they, how they did it. Um, but it was also kind of, like I said, freeing for me to say, okay, let's go ahead. Let's move forward. I feel better about this. Okay. So uh, what did you hope to accomplish with the new curriculum? What are the biggest goals and what do you hope that the future of roller derby will look like and feel like? From my perspective, my biggest goal was to get people playing the game as soon as possible, safely, you know, moderated in an appropriate manner. But I have spent so many years speaking to people, looking on forums and just seeing so many people who started training and 12 months later, they've not stepped into a scrimmage because they don't have their skills or don't have the skills required by their league. And, and, and how many people will have dropped off before that 12 months, before that 18 months? I have a friend um, who's been training for five years and, you know, she's, she, for a variety of reasons, injuries, et cetera, she's never quite made it past her bin skills. She uh, failed cones uh, because she got them in 6.4 seconds. What? Oh, no. And was, by the way that that league worked, was sent back to the very beginning uh, with the brand new skaters. And she's persistent. She is amazing and wonderful and inspiring and is actually a really good hitter. And just watching, you know, individual stories of these people who just want to play roller derby, who want to be involved in something, who come excited. And then, you know, 12 months on, they're, they're working on skills and that's great and that's necessary, but they're not playing the game. So my biggest ambition with everything I've ever done is finding a way to make sure that people can play our sport as soon as possible, because once you play your first scrimmage, you're hooked. That's it. Like That's how you get the love of the game. <laughs> so that's from my perspective. Yeah, I think I'm pretty similar. I just want, I want to make this sport as accessible as possible. I want it to grow as, as large as possible and get as many people involved as possible. Um, I know us, we're sitting here because roller derby has changed our lives and it is something that we've found a passion for. And I, I truly believe that it can make a big impact on the world. Um, and also when you are that person in that situation, going years and years and years being told, start over, work on this list of 20 skills. Um, it takes a special kind of person to continue to show up. And that's not, you know, that's not trying to put down anybody who said, I'm done, this is enough. But to say that we can do better than that and we can do it safely and, and more productively and in a way that gives people better experiences and keeps them involved in this sport. Um, so just trying to improve that access and increase the longevity of our participants is definitely a key for me. I love this. It just sounds like we're, we're trying to give people the opportunity to fall in love with this thing that we all love. <laughs> Absolutely. It's hard to keep the love alive if you're waiting for years and years to play. And I, I love this so much just for that fact alone. I, I just, I want people to play. 
Mm-hmm. Let's do a few like kind of quick fire things to respond to random things we've seen over social media over the last few months of people just, you know, maybe jumping and making some assumptions before reading the curriculum over what it's going to be. Let's just let's just maybe mm, calm some of these folks down. So one response I'm seeing is, yes, no laps forever. So I get to be on the charter now, right? <laughs> what do you say to this person? <laughs> I think, first of all, I mean, there's so many things we can say. Uh, the first thing is that it's always going to be up to the league who they put on their charter. And there's always going to be league processes that are going to happen. And it is up to the league to decide what those are and make those decisions. And um, what the curriculum does is try and remove Uh, some of the barriers and try and provide support towards skaters getting there faster and more safely and playing sooner. Um, So that's the first thing. Um, The other thing is that, and and we kind of chatted about this earlier, um, what we've put in place in the curriculum is almost a game progression, different types of roller derby at different levels. So we're no longer saying, okay, you don't have to do skills, just jump in the game and play. It's more like, what does the game look like at your skill level? And you know, make and creating a space for people to play that game with the skills that they have. Um, so there are four different um, types of derby that we, types of derby scrimmage or play that we kind of name. Um, and the first one is land derby. And land derby is without skates. So it's an opportunity for, you know, your brand new skaters to come in, start learning the rules of the game, start learning how to use their bodies in different ways, work on their functional movement within that context, um, start to understand how they get points, et cetera, teacher strategy. Um, And then from there, the the different levels of derby continue to develop based on skill. So I think that's, those are the two main things. One is leagues still have control over who they put on their charters and their reasons and how they run their tryouts. But also when you're coming in, we're saying you're playing right away, but we're not saying you're playing full regulation, full contact derby right away. I got to say, I've played land derby before, or, or I think we've sometimes called it sock derby. It's a lot of fun, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have fond memories of that, especially it is helpful in learning some strategies and some plays. Sometimes even more experienced players get a little distracted when they have their skates on because they just want to start doing things. And uh, it kind of helps you focus on like, well, this is what we're working on right now. And you can do the other thing later. <laughs> so I, I do enjoy that. Um, since we are there, can I ask what the other types are? What the other levels are? Um, yep. So the next level up is uh, what we call minimal contact derby. And that's minimal contact because, you know, there's still going to be some leaning. There's still going to be some pressure. Um, but there's a limit on blocking. There's a limit on how you position yourselves on track. Um, then there's stopping contact derby. And that's where you can block. You can use your full force, but you're not using your momentum to get into those hits. So whatever engagement you do, you have to stop first. It's about mastering control and controlling what you're doing in your technique and, and, and keeping it um, safer that way. And then it moves into what we would consider to be full contact derby. Um, and within the curriculum, there's a few more different levels around whether or not you're playing with your peers, whether or not you're playing with your league and some advice on how to integrate newer skaters into a full contact situation. But those are the four main ones. So land derby, minimal contact derby, stop and contact derby, and then full contact derby. 
I love this. It seems incredibly well thought out. And like, there's absolutely a place for everyone to jump in and start doing something in the game and progress from there. That's phenomenal. It was, it's been built on and then developed from the JRDA levels of Derby. So obviously it doesn't mirror them exactly, but that was a, a good foundation and basis for us to look at. It does sound familiar. Like, I, I don't think we're putting X's and duct tape on anyone, but it's a similar idea, right? <laughs> Okay, so let's let's put in one of those other reactions on social media. So wait, does this mean there's no test? What do we do without a test? I, I need structure, panic. <laughs> so there's no, the, the WFTDA is saying there does not have to be a test. They're saying it's up to you, up to your league. We are absolutely not saying, go, you're free. You go know, forth in Derby. No support, that's, that's <laughs> definitely... Right, go forth in Derby and figure it out on your own. Like, that's not what we're trying to do here. And that's why I think what part of this project has been as enormous as it is and also as ongoing as it is. I mean, we initially released, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine documents, and we have more planned. Like, yes, that's intimidating in terms of a quantity of pages, but we're not saying you're on your own, right? We are still trying, we've still done our best to provide a, a plan that folks can work from to develop play up to WFTDA regulation play. Um, what we wanted to do was really highlight the trust that we have in coaches and leagues to not roster unsafe players and to determine what your team and league's needs are. Um, you know, there's there's a bunch of resources, like I said, that came out with this uh, curriculum. There's more planned that we want to release. Um, and I think, you know, even though there's we're trying really hard to get away from the idea of a list of skills, there are still examples in these documents. There's still expectations in our risk management guidelines. Um, I think there is historical precedence of this. When we removed our formal equipment checks from our pregame startup, that wasn't the WFTDA saying, we don't care what you do with your safety equipment or whether or not you wear it. It was just saying, we don't need to stringently, you know, include that in, in our specific plans. Um, in the same way that when your team shows up to a game, you expect the track outlines and layout to meet what we've said is required for sanctioned play, I think those are really good uh, parallels to this. So if, if you do want to take a look in the risk management guidelines, it's on the first page of the document, um, expectations, things that are broader concepts like players are able to stop and control their speed as opposed to you must use this one stop in this one setting within this one you know, distance or time limit. And what we're doing there is trying to provide space for players to use a variety of different ways to meet those expectations based on their needs, their bodies, and their abilities. Um, the WFTA is also, we're trying really hard to provide help in this transitory period. We know that this is a big change. Um, I, we mentioned earlier, we have a transition plan. We have a transition document that's available for people to review themselves 
Um, we're also really working to build out a skater education and training community workspace, which is within the new WFTDA communities. Um, we have former task force members who are working on sitting, essentially sitting on a panel to be there to answer questions and offer guidance. Uh, we're hoping to create an open coaching resource library where folks can add things that work for their team or for their league and others can come and review those uh, resources. So we really are, in fact, we're trying to provide much more structure than the previous MSRs did, much more support than the previous MSRs So did. instead of just completely a top-down structure of support, this seems to be, well, there is top-down, but it's also very lateral. Like everyone is helping each other as well. Mm -hmm. If someone has a really good idea, there's actually a place for them to share that now where more people can actually see it and use it. Absolutely. And I, you know, in my experience, I think that's, that's a key principle that our sport is built on is this idea of doing it ourselves and sharing what we know and sharing what we've learned and sharing what works. DIY innovation. Yeah. The sport's evolving all the time and it's the people on the ground doing it right. <laughs> Yeah, and I think what's important to note as well is that, you know, you talk about a top-down top approach in terms of what we're providing, but what's really important to note is that nothing in the curriculum is required. It's all guidance, it's all suggestions, it's all, you know, folks who have experience have pulled this together um, because it's supposed to be helpful, but actually there's a big expectation on leagues to then take that information and figure out how it works for their league because leagues are so different variable in size, in, in, in structure, in, you know, what their intentions are as a league, where they are in the uh, rankings, if they even are aiming for rankings. And so they need to be able to interpret what we've put out there and say, okay, actually this would won't work for us because this is maybe a little bit less relevant. This is how we're going to apply it in our league. And that's quite important. So now we don't necessarily have to do any specific test, but some people are still wondering, one of the last reactions out there I've seen frequently is, can we do the test anyway? Like I need structure, I'm, I'm scared without structure. Some people are afraid because they always, as much as you don't like telling a player you didn't make the roster because you didn't pass this test, it was easier in some ways than uh, coming to them with, other things. So what would you say to this person who's just like, I kind of, even though I hated it, I had an easy out of why this person couldn't be part of the roster right now. Right. So theoretically, um, a league can do what they would like to do. Uh, they can continue to run with the old MSR test, but essentially the WFTADA is advising against a minimum skill test and hoping that leagues are gonna shift their perspective away from individual skills and look at assessing skaters' learning, their development, um, and focus on teaching them to play the game. And the key thing, another key thing, there's so many key things, um, is uh, one thing that you'll see in the curriculum is this participant-centered approach and really focusing on skaters um, as individuals and working with them as individuals to analyze their skills and their progression together. So we've also provided some example templates for development maps, which are supposed to, or should provide a framework for a discussion between coaches and skaters. So there should, it's never easy to tell a skater that maybe they're not on the roster. And it might be easier to say it's because you've not hit 27 and five, but actually it's probably better for both the coach and the skater to really look at where are they in their progression? 
and what can they do to achieve that next level and have that conversation. So we're really trying to support more dialogue and skaters to do their own individual analysis of where they are and coaches to support that rather than just having a tick list and saying, no, you've not done this. So we're hoping people can learn to trust in developing better communication, trust in each other and look at people as people. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> Everyone's a little different. <laughs> and I, I also hope that it can give players some, some more autonomy, right? We, you know, I know that it's conversations that you and Dan have had previously, because I've listened to it on this podcast, like we are adults, right? So there is some power uh, differences. There's some authority when you talk about a coach or a trainer, but we are adults who are choosing to engage in this activity. You can't just have one person say, this is how it is no input, no conversation, take it or leave it. Like you're not going to go very far. It's not going to last very long. Um, So there's also been a concerted effort to empower the individual to be involved in their own development, Um, to not just sit back and have to wait until somebody tells them what to do and how to do it, but to help to facilitate that conversation between the trainer and a coach who maybe has some more information or some more experience than someone who is just coming into this, but to not necessarily have that huge power dynamic shift. That person, no matter how new they are to Derby, their experience, their opinion, and what they're doing and what they want to do is is just as important. And it's going to take those two pieces coming together and communicating and working together to make it the most successful. That's beautiful. I love that. (laughs) Okay. So what would be your advice to players out there who want to learn more about what's going on? Maybe go read it. (laughs) I was just going to say that that's a start, but it is, as we mentioned earlier, it does, it can feel quite overwhelming. There's a lot of documents. Um, So we are looking at trying as a transition team, looking at how we're going to pull out different points in kind of more short guidance um, so you can keep an eye out for that. Um, you can join the WFTDA skater education and training community workspace, um, which is where, as River mentioned, the panel will be there to answer questions and, and offer guidance. Um, those are probably the first two places I would look as well as reading it. Yeah, definitely take a look first and foremost, uh, and officially from the WFTA, you know, for sure join the, the communities, but I, I do think there's going to be a lot of great conversations happening there. And the last piece I'd add is just have conversations about it. Derby Twitter, you know, different Facebook groups. I'm going to, I'm going to pitch your Derby Stance community. Cause I know that was one that I, was huge for me before I even connected with Yamaha of just having other coaches and trainers to talk to about this, have conversations with people inside and outside of your league. Thank you again so much to Maha and River for being on the podcast this week and to Bones for helping set it all up and get us all organized together and to Stevie Kicks for making the introduction in the first place. I really enjoyed this conversation and I'm looking forward to future conversations because the future of roller derby is looking pretty bright with these new standards in place for what we're looking for, which is going to be this goal of 
getting as many people playing as possible, getting people playing as quickly as possible at whatever skill level they are at so they can actually try the game, learn to love the game, and then see what happens from there. You all got to fall in love with the game. Otherwise, you wouldn't be listening to a podcast about it. That's for sure. (laughs) So thank you again to the task force, uh, everyone on the task force, especially the people I got to talk to. I really appreciate the work that has been done, and I'm looking forward to seeing what it looks like in practice going forward. Ah, But I'm not done with my thank yous yet. I got to say thank you and pew pew to two new patrons on Patreon this week. Pew pew to Rachel McIntyre and pew pew to Trisha Kluge, who's actually been a supporter for a long time on Anchor and has moved over onto Patreon where it's a lot more fun. Everyone out there in the beginning when I didn't know what I was doing, Anchor offered a way where you could support using the Anchor app. I've just kind of discontinued that now. Uh, It's not necessary. Everybody's on Patreon now. So if you hear about that in a past episode, just know that's not a thing anymore. Everyone's on Patreon. The party's on Patreon. And I want to thank especially our top tier patrons, Tara Wiebenson and Kristen. Thank you to all our patrons. I just appreciate you all continuing to support the podcast. You are amazing. Thank you to Jenergy who transcribes the podcast to make it more accessible to everyone. And uh, thanks for the Instagram story from Roller Derby Impact. Appreciate it very much. Appreciate everybody out there who is still spreading the word of the podcast and uh, keeping the love alive. You're all great. We have been talking about derby and sharing derby thoughts. Pew, pew! Thank you for listening to another episode of Power Through the Fourth Whistle Roller Derby Podcast. I really hope those laser beams of positivity will carry through your day. If you'd like to get in touch, you can find us on Facebook or on Instagram or Twitter at Power Fourth Whistle. That's P-O-W-E-R, the number four, T-H-W-H-I-S-T-L-E. You can find fun videos of On and Off Skates training at our YouTube channel, Facebook page, and Instagram. You could also support the podcast on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. The benefits of becoming a patron include fun stuff I can send you, like stickers, buttons, or shirts from our Threadless store. You can get access to our Discord server, bonus content, and free giveaways. Plus, patrons now have access to an ad-free version of the podcast that will download to your favorite podcast app each week, and everyone can access our transcribed episodes at patreon.com slash powerforthwhistle. If you like the content we provide and want to support us on this journey, please consider becoming a patron. If you want to expand your derby wardrobe, of course, another way to support the podcast is visiting our store at powerforthwhistle.threadless.com, where you can get our designs on just about any type of apparel or accessory you can dream up. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast anywhere you can. Leaving reviews is still the best way to help this podcast be found and spread those laser beams of positivity to more humans. Plus, it's a way you can give back that is completely free. 
open up your Apple Podcast app, punch those stars, and leave me a pew pew!